From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. It's been over 75 days of nightly riots in Portland, Oregon, and the intensity isn't dying down. Just over the weekend, a Portland mob that was part of a Black Lives Matter protest pulled a man out of his vehicle and beat him until he was unconscious. Fox News interviewed Drew Hernandez, who witnessed the assault. Hernandez says that Portland feels like a third world country right now. This was violent, extremely violent. Um, You know, sometimes I forget that I'm walking the streets of an American city in the Northwest. Uh, Sometimes it feels like you're walking in a third world country. You know, I've been to third world countries. I I, I personally, I've been to Haiti. uh, I've been to Mexico. I've been to some pretty dangerous places. And there's like this sense of fear because the people are unpredictable because you know the crime rates are high and the police aren't there to save you. And that's kind of the feeling that I get when I'm walking the streets of Portland now. And it's not just Portland. In Seattle, crowds continue to riot and throw large rocks, bottles, fireworks, and other explosives at police. This body camera and open source footage was released by the Seattle Police Department this past Sunday. Six officers were injured, and one was hospitalized in that attack. And it doesn't stop there. Violence and looting broke out in Chicago's so-called Magnificent Mile Central Shopping District last week. Here's David Brown, Chicago's police superintendent, and Lori Lightfoot, Chicago's mayor. DPD became aware of several social media posts encouraging looting downtown. This was not an organized protest. Rather, this was an incident of pure criminality. This was an act of violence against our police officers and against our city. As of now, Chicago police have made more than 100 arrests for looting, disorderly conduct, battery against police, among other charges. In one incident last night, officers were arresting a looting suspect at Michigan Avenue and Lake Street. As officers were making the arrest, another vehicle passed by the officers and fired shots at the officers as their vehicle turned the corner, resulting in an exchange of gunfire between our officers and these suspects. What occurred in our downtown and surrounding communities was abject criminal behavior, pure and simple. And there cannot be any excuse for it, period. This is not legitimate First Amendment uh, protected speech. These were not poor people engaged in petty theft to feed themselves and their families. This was straight up felony criminal conduct. Heritage experts say it's clear what's happening. Organized rioters are attacking federal law officers to provoke them into using force. 
The assault is designed to create the impression that federal law enforcement is the problem and that the only answer is to defund the police. Many liberal, local and state politicians are allowing the chaos to continue to feed the political narrative that President Trump has caused the problems plaguing America. Heritage experts recently unveiled a 14-point plan that takes a holistic look at what policymakers must do to stop this violence, restore confidence in the rule of law, and get Americans back to work and everyday life safely. Today, Laura Reese, a Heritage Senior Research Fellow for Homeland Security and one of the authors of the report, will explain the plan after this short break. Americans have almost entirely forgotten their history. That's right, and if we want to keep our republic, this needs to change. I'm Jarrett Stepman. And I'm Fred Lucas. We host The Right Side of History, a podcast dedicated to restoring informed patriotism and busting the negative narratives about America's past. Hollywood, the media, and academia have failed a generation. We're here to set the record straight on the ideas and people who've made this country great. Subscribe to The Right Side of History on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher today. Laura, thank you so much for talking with us today. In our intro, we just highlighted the now over 75 days of riots in Portland, but also the crime and violence occurring across the country in our larger cities. Can you explain why this is happening right now? Why has this gotten so bad? I think it's a few things. It, it started out with the death of George Floyd and people were angry about the circumstances involved in that and and understandably so. But as we've seen with some past deaths um, where police are involved, it has become unfortunately a pattern where riots break out, looting breaks out. And so there are bad elements who, who are hijacking what would otherwise be peaceful protests. And um, that is the violence that we're seeing in Portland and, and other cities around the country right now. And is there anyone specifically responsible for this? I know you talked a little bit about how the media has played a big role. How are they to blame? Media has continuously played video of uh, violent clashes between protesters and law enforcement. Um, and by continuing to play that, they, the media stirs the pot. They need the drama to get viewers and to get clicks. And uh, they, many of the mainstream media are biased on this issue. And so they're showing one side of the story. They're portraying the federal police and law enforcement as the bad guys um, and trying to show President Trump's America is as chaotic and out of control. Um, it, it seems that they are willing to do this up until the election um, to get a certain result in the election, uh, but it is far from an objective portrayal of what is really happening. And there's been a lot of talk about how Black Lives Matter has potentially been inciting some of this violence and making it worse. Is there truth to that? Well, they are clearly involved and they're, you know, bold about it in some instances. I mean, if you take Chicago this past weekend, for example, uh, looting stores on the Magnificent Mile uh, in downtown Chicago and claiming we have a right to do this. This is reparations. This ensures people are getting food or clothing or what have you. So it's very perverse 
uh, set of activities breaking out. It is not peaceful. It's not even protesting anymore. It's just opportunism and it's violent. So this is much bigger than just protecting federal buildings or stopping looting. Can you explain to our listeners how much deeper this really goes and why it's so important that we get a handle on this? Yes. I mean, so Portland specifically has largely been about protecting federal building, federal courthouse and federal property. But that isn't the same circumstances going on in other cities like New York or Chicago or Seattle. There is simply a an opportunity by some of these groups, whether it's Black Lives Matter or Antifa or other related groups, or in some cases just thugs with too much time on their hands who are out willing to loot a store. But it is very violent. It is rooted in the notion that all law enforcement is racist and that the police now need to be defunded because of it. And significant reform of the jail system and and more. So it's it's a bit of a, the beginning of a slippery slope towards what some of these groups may be seeking um, kind of fundamental reform of the U.S., uh, more socialist or, or Marxist movements and efforts. So the plan that you and a group of other heritage experts came up with to stop this targeted violence in American cities starts with protection, our police officers. Um, we need to stop the the criminal rioters in Portland and other cities and prevent similar riots in the future. What are a few of the most important things we can do to kick off that effort? In terms of protection, there needs to be communication among law enforcement officers at all levels, at federal, state, and local. And if you take Portland, for example, some of the local leaders there prevented Portland and Oregon police from interacting with federal agents They cut federal police out of uh, coordination meetings. Um, That's very dangerous. And if you ask any law enforcement officer, they will say the cooperation among agencies across jurisdictions is is key. It results in arrests. It results in prosecutions um, and justice, in essence. So it's paramount that law enforcement officers be able to communicate with one another and to coordinate. The next part of the plan has to do with holding people responsible. And how should we do that? For example, the district attorney in Portland just said that many of the peaceful protesters won't be prosecuted. Is that fair if they were peaceful? How do you sort all this out? So if laws are broken, and there are many state and federal laws that are on the books and that are being broken, I mean, there are violent assaults going on, whether it's attempts to burn down federal property with the federal officers inside, whether it's uh, shooting blinding lasers at officers' eyes, um, uh, damaging property. I mean, there's a whole host of crimes that are being committed, and none of these are peaceful. Those crimes need to be, those perpetrators need to be arrested, they need to be indicted, and they need to be prosecuted. And Unfortunately, there is a movement by some on the left to uh, basically buy uh, through political campaigns uh, rogue prosecutors who, who have no interest in prosecuting many of these crimes. And so, unfortunately, some of these looters and rioters are just released from prison 
and they're back at it the next night. And if there are no consequences for these crimes, they will continue to happen and they'll spread to other cities. So the consequences then are what, longer sentences, higher fines? Well, for starters, it's not uh, bailing them out of jail. Um, right. And it's, it's actually prosecuting the crimes till the, to the end rather than letting them skate and uh, continue back out in the streets to, to uh, riot some more. Now, the third phase, I think, is really important. We talked a little bit about this early on, and that's communication. And you and other heritage experts write that the media has a responsibility to report facts objectively so the public knows what's happening. How do we make them do this? That's such a big part of the equation in a lot of the things that we're looking at right now. How can we make them be responsible? Well, unfortunately, as I said before, uh, some of the mainstream media are just showing part of the footage and just telling part of the story. Fortunately, there are some uh, journalists and, and people on the street who are showing more objective um, video and account of what's going on. Um, interestingly, also, uh, some of the police with their body cameras are showing uh, footage of the riots. And unfortunately, the ACLU has sued and at least initially successfully received a temporary restraining order to prevent the police from showing that video of the riots. Now, why is that? What are they afraid that folks are going to see? Americans need to know what's really going on. And when that happens, they will see that these law officers are being assaulted violently, that these rioters are pre-planning, they're bringing dangerous weapons night after night, and they are physically hurting these officers. So it's a combination of showing full video footage and also briefing Americans more by law enforcement as to what is occurring each night and what arrests are occurring, what prosecutions are being made uh, so that Americans see there is consequences for this and hopefully stem these riots. Yeah, it seems really unfair that the ACLU would be able to use the footage when it suits their agenda, but not when it doesn't. There has long been a, a movement before police body cameras became prevalent that police use those cameras, wear them and use them and show the video. But now suddenly they're not interested in, in what's on those videos. And I think the the public also, I, I can tell you, I've witnessed myself on, on a number of occasions since all this happened where there's some sort of altercation and there's police involved where people standing by stop and take footage, whether it's to make sure the police is doing their job or make sure that the police aren't being slandered, the public is at least trying to help, I think, as well. So when it comes to when we figure all this out, and let's say we were to get all of these steps to happen, the solution and the recovery, how do we keep it that way? Well, again, consequences will go a long way. If, if folks know that it's just not worth it to go riot and loot because they'll be arrested and prosecuted and serve time in jail and or fined, then we wouldn't have you know, f future riots. 
there is recovery that's necessary. Unfortunately, a lot of these uh, communities need to be rebuilt. And coming on the heels of COVID and shutdown orders, it's, it's just compounded a, uh, a very terrible situation for these residencies and for these um, businesses. So it's, it's important that the, the state and local uh, governments remove any red tape that they can to help accelerate rebuilding. Um, and with a, a rebuilt community um, where folks can thrive, it would lead to higher housing values, pride in the community, better community relations, and again, less likely that riots would, would break out there. Um, and right, because this, people would be at work and school and not have the extra time on their hands to go participate. Yes. Um, COVID, unfortunately, is definitely an aggravating factor in all of this. The fact that people aren't in school, and a lot of these, these people rioting are pretty young. So um, not in school. They've got free time on their hands to create mischief. Um, if they were back at school and if businesses were open and, and more people were, you know, work had to go to work the next morning, they wouldn't be out at 2 a.m. rioting and looting. And I think another really good point that you guys made in the paper is that the poor and minorities are often the most affected by these riots. Yes, unfortunately, um, in these urban areas. And that, that's been uh, a pattern going back, whether you look at you know Baltimore after uh, Freddie Gray's deaths, um, et cetera. Now we are also seeing a little bit of a different um, situation where, and again, I use the Chicago Magnificent Mile example, where uh, they are looting um, upscale stores in upscale parts of the city. So tactics may be changing. Um, but nonetheless, these uh, businesses have been suffering from COVID, and, and this just uh, hurts the economy, and it hurts the business owners and the staff who work there. Laura, thank you so much for your time today and your expertise. Our country needs these policy solutions right now more than ever, so hopefully we can get them into the right hands. Agreed. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. I'll include the link to the new report in our show notes. Please help conservative podcasts by sharing this episode or your other favorite episodes of Heritage Explains with a friend. You can find us on just about all podcast platforms, but you can also listen to this episode and share it on Facebook, Instagram, and through YouTube. Tim's up next week. We'll see you then. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by John Pop.